Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. Today is Wednesday, June 20th. I am Ann Picker, Econa Day's Chief Economist. And with me today are Mark Pender in the U.S. and Jeremy Hawkins in London. Jeremy, what the ECB said last week or didn't say, upcoming Thursday are the SNB and the Bank of England. Yeah, there's a lot of monetary policy stuff uh, going on at the moment. And really, I suppose probably the most important ones you mentioned was the ECB last week. We should kick off there. So it looks as if the end of the central bank's 2.4 trillion euro quantitative easing program is finally in sight. So specifically then, we are going to have net asset purchases continuing to run at the 30 billion a month uh, through September. That was already planned. But thereafter, they'll be reduced to 15 billion a month through December. And crucially, subject to the data, that will mark the end of the existing program. So as of the start of 2019, the ECB will no longer be injecting additional liquidity into the economy. So this means then that policy will not be loosened any further. But at least importantly, neither will it be tightened as the central bank is going to maintain its current stance on reinvesting the principal payments from maturing securities to make sure it keeps its balance sheet steady. I say one important thing to note about this, by the fact that you know, this in theory is the end of QE, is that all of this is going to be subject to the incoming economic data. So policy is going to be data dependent. And bearing in mind the fact that you know, we have seen this fairly sharp slowdown in the Eurozone economy, we're also still seeing a pretty flat trend and a soft trend in underlying inflation. There's got to be at least an outside chance that the numbers, economic figures, don't live up to the ECB's expectations, in which case quantitative easing may still be continuing even at the start of 2019. That said, um, what the ECB came out with in terms of ending the program, I think most people have expected to have hit the bond market and lifted a euro. But what the central bank did, which wasn't anticipated, was to come out and indicate that they expect ECB interest rates, or at least the key benchmark referee rate, to be held at the current 0% through at least the summer of next year. So in other words, we're going to be stuck with zero interest rates if, Eurozone's, if the ECB's got it right in the Eurozone for at least another year. And that's been taken extremely negative by the euro, which has been sold off quite aggressively right across the board. And at the same time, it's been taken extremely well by the fixed income markets in the eurozone, which obviously want to be concerned that once we get the end of QE, the next stage from that is going to be higher interest rates. But that clearly is not on the card for the time being. Um, with regards to the other central banks, which at least on paper should be a little bit less interesting, as you mentioned, Bank of England will get on Thursday. I think by and large, given the, the data we've had since they last met, um, by the exception of a jump in April retail sales, which quite possibly was just down to unseasonably warm weather and in particular the royal wedding um, during the month, um, most of the figures have been quite disappointing. Uh, inflation has also come in below, below expectations since uh, the last gathering. So expectations for the market, pretty clearly in favour of no change there. I think we'll see another 7 Two vote with the two main hawks, uh, McCafferty and Saunders, for the third time dissenting in favour of a 25 basis point hike. Just quickly on the MPC, worth noting uh, Ian McCafferty, who's really been probably the, the most hawkish member of this panel, um, he'll be leaving the MPC after the August meeting. Um, he'll be replaced by a professor of economics at Imperial College London, Jonathan Haskell, and that just by virtue of the fact that he'll be a new boy sitting at the table may make it that much less likely 
likely um, that we'll see interest rates going higher once um, McCarthy, um, McCafferty has left. With regards to the SMB, again, it's difficult to see them coming out with any change in interest rates. For them, it's the old age problem of trying to get inflation back up towards 2%. As we speak, in consumer price inflation is running at an annual rate of just 0.8% a year. If that sounds low, well, if we look at the breakdown of that, import prices are running at 2.2%. Domestic prices are running at just 0.4%. And the big concern for the SMB now is that we have seen some fresh capital inflation going into the Swiss franc as a result of political instability in Europe with Italy and I'll quickly uh, mention in a minute Germany as well. Um, so we've already seen the Swiss franc starting to rally against the euro in turn aided by the ECB's announcement with regards to interest rates last week. So the worry for the SMB of course is that we continue to see the Swiss franc strengthening and that's going to put additional downside pressure on inflation. So for the SMB the last thing they can afford to do at the moment is to rock the monetary boat by doing anything which encourages um, additional investor interest in their currency. Jerry, yeah sure. I'd like to uh, ask you a question right there. Um, what is it? I was looking at the uh, debt to GDP ratio for uh, Switzerland. It's very high. It's almost 30%. But what is it about the Swiss franc that attracts so much uh, safe haven demand? Well, in the current environment, when we're talking about you know, in increasing you know, moves towards risk aversion because of what's happening in capital markets in general and talk of trade wars and so on, you know, people start looking for those currencies which are historically been regarded as safe haven. And certainly for Europe, that, that for Europe that's always been the Swiss franc. But in terms of you know, why, well, if we look at the, you know, the balance of payments for the Swiss, Swiss franc, or for Switzerland, I should say, they've got a current account surplus to GDP ratio of around about 10% give or take a percentage point. And it's always up around that kind of a mark. So in other words, they don't have to rely upon net capital inflows to fund any deficit, such as the US has to, or UK certainly has to, um, simply because they've got a surplus in the first place. They're actually exporting capital. So at times when we see perhaps global liquidity beginning to dry up and other countries having to fight over one another to try and attract uh, the capital payments to, you know, to fund these current account deficits, for Switzerland, it's simply not an issue. Uh, effectively, the currency is going to rise unless we actually see Switzerland exporting capital in the first place. Um, just sorry, just quickly before I, if I round off my bit, if I go on for too long, I do need to mention a couple of other things from the, the political side because it's also wearing on the on the uh, euro. In Germany, um, Angela Merkel, if folks remember, she's got this grand coalition that's now under serious threat. Um, the CSU, the Christian Social Union Party, which is, if you like, the sister party to Angela Merkel's Conservatives, the CDU, uh, they now have the Interior Ministry as a result of the last government shake-up, the last elections, and the head of the CSU is unhappy with Merkel's fairly accommodative and open approach to immigration to the extent that they're effectively saying that they want to completely change immigration policy and have told Merkel that she's got to go away and sort out what to do within two weeks. If she can't do that, then there's a real chance that we could see this grand coalition falling apart. And were we to see that, clearly that's going to be a big negative as far as the euro is concerned. And lastly, Brexit. I mean, Brexit is an ongoing thing as we talk about almost every week. Just to point out that today, Wednesday, there will be a very important vote in Parliament about what's going to happen with regards to Parliament's own vote at the end of the Brexit procedure itself. There is a realistic chance the government can lose. And if that were to happen, there's certainly a chance we could see the Prime Minister falling. So, so that's something to keep an eye on today. And that's my lot. 
Thanks, Jeremy. Mark, this is a week for housing data, and this morning was particularly disappointing. Yeah, uh, yes, Anne. It, well, um, disappointing uh, for uh, the resale market is nothing new. It's um, quite a surprise. There seems to be a, a, quite a division in the housing sector um, between the new home market where rates of sales, it's uh, sawtooth month to month, uh, whatever the data on that market you're looking at. But uh, behind all that is a significant upward trend, really almost at about a double digit, which really is one of the, uh, uh, makes it one of the, the strongest areas of the economy. In contrast, the resale market, the sales of used homes, existing homes, um, has been trending lower, uh, visibly lower. Just a little bit, but it's been that has really been the, as you would say, the secular trend for the whole expansion. Uh, new home sales going up and existing home sales uh, going down. Um, it's a uh, it's a bit of a a problem. Uh, for uh, for to get yourself uh, uh, the, how much can the housing contribute to the 2018 economy? The new home uh, new homes have a significant. Uh, uh, impact on residential investment, which is in the GDP, um, which is part of GDP. And so that looks to be quite positive. But uh, existing home sales, as far as household wealth and that stuff, um, it's not, you know, home, uh, there's not really a lot of churning in the market. Um, but that's probably a good thing. Uh, Jerome Powell is speaking today. Uh, and uh, he mentioned that um, he doesn't see uh, excessive levels of debt. Um, in in the economy, and that is very very important. So many times, um, housing has been uh, bubbles in the housing market have been the centers of, of extreme trouble, extreme danger for uh, household uh, stability. Um, he doesn't see it, but we're getting oh, we um, going into the spring se uh, selling season this year. Um, house home prices uh, look like there's uh, several different readings on home prices, but if you look at them in aggregate, uh, it looks like they're coming down a little bit um, into the into the spring sale uh, into the spring season, which the data for the season are still coming out, and it doesn't look to have been a very uh, tremendously successful season. We'll get the new home sales report um, next week on a Thursday. We'll get the FHFA. A house price index, um, and uh, and then the week after that we'll get Case Shiller ha home prices, and uh, uh, the expectations are for a little bit of, uh, of uh, better growth. But again, it, it had been coming down. So if you look at it, I, I, and if there is a bubble in the housing sector, it's on the West Coast, uh, where uh, rates of uh, price appreciation are in the double digits. Really, can that be sustainable? Uh, we're seeing some like one and a half, two percent moves a month on home prices uh, out west. But the rest of the country, uh, we're not seeing uh, any kind of an imbalance like that. So it's probably the housing sector right now looking here from the, the first signs, uh, uh, first indications from the spring selling season is, uh, you know, on net, uh, modestly, moderately positive, which I guess really gets back down to the Federal Reserve's uh, uh, own assessment of the housing market. Mark? What do you see as the impact of increased lumber prices on the housing market now that the um, tariffs have gone into effect? 
Well, that's a really good question. One of the um, indicators, home indicators we had this week was on Monday, and that was the housing market index, and that's compiled by the nation's home builders. And they had shown enormous uh, confidence. This is really a confidence measure. Uh, it's like a consumer uh, confidence, business confidence, but it's just set within the uh, housing sector. And it took off uh, with, with uh, when the Republicans got in. Um, and uh, it has now been leveling off a little bit. And part of that is not only uh, higher uh, concerns of, and, the, and home builders are right at, the, they're right at the trench line, or they're running out into no man's land. They're, uh, they're right at uh, where, where the battle line is drawn. And, uh, and they are reporting, of course, or, or they're looking out in part of their report is a six month assessment. And they're looking out at the risk of higher uh, lumber prices, but more immediately, they can't find uh, construction workers. And going back to the aluminum and steel tariffs uh, that were set on in March, there, uh, 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 the availability of construction equipment uh, is down. So, um, and you kind of see that in in the starts in the permits um, data that were out on uh, Tuesday yesterday. Uh, and there again, you get this sawtooth kind of a, a look uh, up. And down, up and down. Um, again, along a trend of uh, a, a long, uh, a rising long-term trend. However, but I think these immediate factors are going to slow, um, slow what uh, or contain and limit growth in that market. However, the other, the up, the other side of that is that may be desirable to uh, sl contain the growth to, to uh, prevent a bubble. So. How do you like that? <laughs> Mark, can I, ask, can I ask you a quick one GDP? I think yeah. it was, was it yes, yesterday, the Atlanta, was it so-called, Atlanta Fed Nowcast, they were talking about 4.7% yes. second quarter. Does that seem plausible to you? Yes, I think that that's the high end. Um, it re it has to do with the consumer, really. Uh, that uh, 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 really uh, showed uh, the particular measure responded immediately to uh, – um, uh, last week's uh, retail sales report, uh, which was very interesting. But I could just take a, a, a second. The, the Fed's beige, but I think it's all related to consumer spending and the, and the possibility of a 5% GDP for the second quarter. And, and what's surprising about this is that uh, it, in, in April, that's the beginning of the second quarter, um, retail sales weren't that great, but uh, sales of services, where uh, and this is reported with time lag, and this is the most significant piece of consumer spending. Two thirds of consumer spending is on services, but you don't, we don't get any uh, strong advance indications, uh, really, even from private sources on on this reading, and that came out very strong in April, and that kind of. Uh, uh, kept things up. But then the beige book came out, and this is prepared in advance for the FOMC, a couple weeks in advance. And the it, it beige book at the end of May said that sales uh, sales in, um, sales uh, through uh, 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 late May uh, were uh, moderating, which means going uh, growth is slowing. And then at the FOMC statement, this, the right at the very top of the statement, the Fed says uh, that uh, uh, retail sales have uh, are starting to go up, or picking up was the quote. So what happened between the beige book and um, and the FOMC? Well, there are, if you look at our calendar, there's actually no hard data at all in retail. It was the day after the FOMC was the retail sales report where, uh, uh, that came out. They must have been looking at that report, which showed not only 
unusual strength in May that was not indicated at all by auto sales, which were flat. Uh, it, it, so it, uh, and it included upward revisions to uh, to April. So uh, we, you get this kind of a sudden burst, and and you were talking about uh, being informed by uh, incoming data. This is a central bank term. Well, uh, you know, and and people downplay, or often the Fed will downplay. Well, you need more than one month's data. You need a trend. Well, maybe not, because I think the Fed was responding to one single report, and that was the retail sales report, and it was a very strong report w with the revision, and that has lifted the outlook, I think, for what the second quarter is possible. But it shouldn't be any surprise having strength in consumer spending, given the enormous strength of the jobs market. We've had 1.5 million new uh, jobs uh, created this year, and so you're having you know, uh, more people uh, earning money, which has to be ultimately good for consumer spending. Thanks, Mark. Until next week. <laughs>